Just before we start and I do the reading, um, if you can turn to the person next to you and answer that question that we started off with, uh, what do you have in mind when you think of of heaven? Uh, Just tell the person next to you what you're looking forward to. Great. Uh, Let's come together. Um, Hopefully... Hopefully, by the, our objective by the end of this time together is that we'll have my, many more things to say to each other um, in the coffee time about that, um, in answer to that question. So, um, if you can turn your Bibles to Revelation 21, it's a vision that God gave to the Apostle John, um, so we're going to read it together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride. The wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gate, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on these three gates, on the north three gates, and the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rods, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by uh, human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for his temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honour of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable and false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, if you could keep your Bibles open, and we're referring to different parts of that passage, um, so you need it there in front of you. This week was not a normal week for me. I told you where I was. Um, I didn't tell you how I got there. I actually drove from Heathrow, where I picked up five people, all the way up to Hull. And I'm not the most relaxed driver at the best of times. Um, this, was, uh, what, this was what the journey kind of looked like. Obviously, that's going south. Don't, don't worry about the signs. But, you know, it's absolutely heaving with rain. It was torrential, and it was just like visibility was so bad. I was aquaplaning. I was like, this is the worst example of driving ever. Um, but um, that, that's what I did. And um, as we ended the journey, six and a half hours later... And you know that the journey from Heathrow to Hull should only take four. Um, In utter darkness, along windy roads in thick fog, in the hills outside of Hull, the sat-nav thought it would shave a minute or two off my ETA. It also shaved a year or two off my life. (laughs) And off everyone else in the car in the process. The summary for you of that was that the journey was difficult, but we arrived at our destination. We arrived safe. I mean, you can see that, for for one. The other people were safe too. Uh, No one had a heart attack. Um, The whole time our thoughts were on where we were going. The destination. And the destination was everything in that journey. When it was, that's what we're fixated on, getting there. You know, however long it was going to take. Have you heard the popular saying about life? Um, You probably have. Um, It's this. Goes something like this: It doesn't matter where you're headed, just enjoy the ride. Quite popular, isn't it? Who's heard that saying before? Very popular, very popular in our time, actually. Um, it doesn't matter where you're headed, just enjoy the ride. Life is a journey; it's not about the destination. I don't think that actually works. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, it doesn't work for people whose lives are miserable. Every day is suffering and pain just doesn't work, does it? Enjoy, tell them, <laughs> come on, enjoy the ride, uh, enjoy your journey. Um, that's, it doesn't work that way. But what's more is the opposite of what God says. And um, we will only say such things if we've turned away from him. And I think actually that's probably why it's quite popular. Because what we're doing is we're saying no God, no God and therefore no purpose for our lives. It's just a journey doesn't matter where we're going. And yet here in Revelation 21, it's very, very clear, isn't it, on the destination. It's the very end 
of all things we're told about God and about human history and our lives, where they're all going to end up. And the destination is here in bold print. So God hasn't really left us the option of saying that it's unimportant or that we can't possibly know. We either have to reject entirely what God says or we have to see its huge implications for our lives. Because the destination absolutely defines everything we're doing now. It brings perspective, the right perspective to everything that we're doing now. And that might feel slightly uncomfortable for some of us because we're sort of more inclined to live day by day. But it's helpful, isn't it? It's a bit like a wake-up call from God saying, you need to know this. You need to know where everything is headed towards. And he's told us. And so what it cannot be is unimportant. It's not something that we should just brush aside. Um, We either reject it completely, that's what we're doing, or we realise it's huge implications for our lives. So what has God told us about um, his future? Well, we've been doing this Bible overview. Um, So we started all the way back in Genesis. We've done seven weeks. We're building up to this final instalment which is the end, when Christ returns. And um, the new creation. And what has he told us about what that's like? Um, Well, you answered that question at the start, didn't you? And you came up with some things you think, that's what I picture of heaven. Um, But the picture, clear picture we get of heaven is God dwelling with his people. What we get again and again in this chapter and all the way through the Bible is what was promised, what was lost in Eden, what was promised that God would give a people, he would have a people for himself, they would be his, he would be their God, they would be his people, and he would dwell with them forever. It's a bit weird because um, the angel, if you look down with me at um, verse 9, one of the seven angels comes to John and says, I'll show you the bride the wife of the lamb and what does he actually show him what does he actually show him a city <laughs> so he's a bride a city what's going on you know building bride why is he showing him city well it's because a city represents God's people a dwelling place for God and um, so the city is the bride and the bride is the wife of the lamb and we'll get to him in just a moment. Well, that's the picture we get of God's people. What John is being shown here about heaven is God's people and what they are like in eternity. And um, God's people being a building or dwelling place for God, it's not a new thought, actually. John's not innovating here. Ephesians says that. It says, in him you also are being built together into to a dwelling place for God. Uh, by the spirit so people are the living stones building a house a place where god would dwell forever with them so if you can just hold that in your mind i know it's a bit hard because we don't use picture language all that much what we do but in different ways but the bride the city the city that's being described here is god's people and so if it talks about beauty or radiance or size and scale it's talking about (laughs) size and scale and beauty of god's people If they're reflecting God's glory and stones and all of those precious things, then that is describing how God's people will reflect God's glory in eternity. God dwells with his people. 
The big feature of heaven is God dwelling with his people. The city represents the people of God. That's why the foundations are named after the 12 tribes. And the gates are named as the 12 apostles. This is all those people, maybe you, here today, who, who by faith have trusted the same promise that Abraham did. That God's kingdom, that God would bring his kingdom, it would be a gift to us by faith, not by works. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's why the walls and foundations are covered with precious stones. He says, um, what does he say about her being a, a bride adorned for her husband? Um, she is adorned for her husband. And, and all of these precious stones that are lists in that list uh, from verse 18, they're just ways that John is grasping at for description of her beauty, her radiance, because it's like looking at something sparkling and dazzling, dazzlingly, dazzlingly bright. And that's what, she, what God's people, the church, remember, what they are going to be like in eternity. We're told that she, in verse 11, has the radiance of the glory of God. Having the glory of God, it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. God's people will have the radiance of the glory of God. They will perfectly reflect what he is like forever. And actually, that's going to bring him glory. Because they will be seen as perfect, made perfect by him. So his love and faithfulness will be on display. These people will be reflecting how great and glorious and wonderful he is and what he has done for them. Um, the rest of the chapter is given over to that. So if you look at verse 15 uh, down to uh, verse uh, 17, it talks about the scale of the city. Huge, massive. Um, if you look at verse, um, as I said, verse 18 down to 21, all of these sparkling things adorned. She's beautiful. She's got, she's radiantly reflecting God's glory. It's breath, breathtakingly beautiful. She, God's people, is breathtakingly beautiful. She's not got a single blemish or imperfection. If there is an award for the best town, you know, you sometimes get them, don't you, um, in the countryside. You know, we've got the beautiful town. This, she would win it, hands down. This is what she's going to be like. And she's unique, really. This place, these people are unique for what is there and what is not there. So the absence of things, we probably talked about that in some of our discussions. Um, the absence of things and the presence of the Lord. So the city is unique. Um, there's no unclean thing there. It says that at the end of uh, the chapter, verse 27. There will be nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So nothing unclean and no one unclean or who is perverse. Um, they won't be there. Uh, there will be no nights um, in the, <laughs> the end of chapter, uh, verse 25. There will be no night there because the glory of God is the light. His glorious light. There'll be no need for suns and moons and stars, presumably, as well, uh, because he will be their light. And that's how we'll walk around. With God's glory as our light, we can see, because he is glorious. So there's notable absences, isn't there? Things that aren't going to be there. And there's one more as well. If you look down with me at verse 12, um, 
Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for his temple was the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Why is there no temple? The temple was the meeting place between God and man, where he would meet with his people. There's no need for a temple anymore, because he's there. And amongst them, in the city, and there's uh, the throne of the Lamb, um, in which he is right there in the centre of the city, with them. For the temp- his temple is the Lord God of the Almighty and the Lamb. In the centre of the city is the throne, and one, the, thro- and the one on the throne is the Lamb who was slain. And this represents Jesus, the Lamb of God who died on the cross for their forgiveness. He was announced back in chapter 5 of Revelation, if we were doing a series in Revelation, as the only one who could open the seven seals, all of human history. And this is where... Uh, and he is the one who will be amongst them. They will be with him, praising him. So the picture we get of heaven is not predominantly of a place, not so much of a place, but of the people. It might be a bit different to the kind of descriptions we came up with. Have you heard the descriptions of heaven as a, you know, some people, if probably not city dwellers, um, rolling hills, you know, Lovely landscapes, beautiful countryside, absolutely empty. (laughs) No one there, just me. That's my heaven. That's not this, is it? It's a bustling city. Full of relationship. Relationship with one another. God's people having perfect relationship with one another. Perfect relationship with God. It's defined by these relationships. That will go on forever and ever and ever. And so if we're just thinking of a a peaceful place and a place of absence where we can just escape and get away from everything, we've not really got what heaven is going to, what's going to make heaven so wonderful, what's going to make heaven so beautiful and so enjoyable. It's going to be about relationship, relationship with God, relationship with his people. The presence of God with the richness of a life lived in relationship with him and his people. That's heaven's defining feature. Not the harp, not the cloud, but a bustling and busy city where God's people dwell, together in harmony and love, with God at the centre. There's one other thing, and we talked about it, we just touched on it before. Um, Sorry, let me show you this uh, quickly. Um, This is Genesis 2. We've done our Bible overview, so I'll just show you. Genesis 2 describes the garden where God's presence was with his people, having made them um, as a garden, with water, with a river, with the tree of life. Um, In Ezekiel 47, there's this prophecy about how God would one day do this again, um, and he describes a place. Interestingly, their fruit will be be for food, uh, the trees, and their leaves for healing. That's exactly what we just read in this chapter. And then in Revelation 22... There you go, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It describes the same river of life. It's right in the centre of the city. And uh, on either side of the river, there's these trees which bear fruit every month, 12 different types of fruit. And they provide nutrition, lasting nutrition for God's people. And the water is clear as crystal. Imagine for people who are, you know, living in deserty 
arid places, you know, the thought of this, you know, it just makes your mouth water, doesn't it? Maybe for us, we just pick up a cup of water, but this is beautiful. This is lovely. He's going to provide for us. It's going to be rich provision with him, with his people. One other thing I just want to show you um, quickly. God's perfect place, his new creation is only possible because of God's judgment. His new creation is only possible because of God's judgment, because of his righteous judgment and a banishing uh, banishing sin and evil forever. If we'd been looking at Revelation, um, you could just flick over um, with me. Um, in verse six, chapter 16, just over the page, we'll just look at the titles. The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath. Chapter 17, the great prostitute and the beast. Sort of very picture language again, but depicted as one who is um, causing terror. Um, and, and named as Babylon, actually, um, because that was one of the great civilizations who overthrew, overthrew God's people because of his judgment, but um, who were against God and against his people. Um, so in chapter 18, the fall of Babylon. Um, and then the... Uh, the rider on the white horse in chapter 19. And then if you look down with me just at the end of chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 12, it says this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, Just over in what we read just now, we find out that the book of life is the Lamb's book of life in 21 verse 27. The new creation... Which comes about in tw- which we're told, and it's announced in ch- chapter twenty-one, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Comes about through God's complete <laughs> destruction of evil, His complete judgment. Everything that's false, everything that's evil, that threatens, is is done away with, is judged and punished. Satan himself, um, Babylon, is depicted as a, a prostitute. Um, but again, it's just a civilization that is opposed to God and his people. And the two beasts, again, they're thrown down. These are just some, some pictures you can make of it what you will. Um, if you've been to the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, uh, this is Michelangelo's depiction of the great judgment, the last judgment, where all men, the dead, will rise. And what is written in these books, the book of life, and the Lamb's book of life, and, um, uh, and the books of what they have done, their, their judgment, their lives, um, is, is read. And God will send away all those who are opposed to him, all those who have sinned, unless their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And their name gets written in the Lamb's of life because Jesus has died for them to save them and they've trusted in his blood. It's not because of anything good they've done. 
<laughs> not like bribed him. Come on, put my name in there. It's because he has saved them. The only thing that will save us from God's judgment is Jesus and what he has done on the cross. And that's why he's forever to be worshipped by God's people. Because they are a living example, a living testimony to his grace and his mercy. And them being there perfect in radiance, reflecting him perfectly, will be a testimony to what he has done for them. And he will be forever praised. Um, So here's the lamb on the throne. Um, So this is what is going to happen. The reason the new creation is so good, the reason that the gates of the city can be left wide open, there's no threat, there's no danger to God's people forever. There's no defilement or things that can make them unclean. It's because God has judged all that is evil and false. He has sent Satan to where he belongs. He has sent all those who oppose him to where they belong. Um, So we're just going to have a little think about this because... What does this mean for us now? I think that perspective, isn't it? The the destination really does tell us loads about what we're doing now in life. If we want to believe the whole thing of there's no destination, so just enjoy the journey, we're blinding our own eyes to what God has clearly shown us, which is he has a destination, and he's told us what it is. The new creation, through his judgment, where he alone is God, and we will all worship him, or bow the knees to him. And if you're a believer, um, what this means is that we can live now as we will be living then. If heaven is about relationship with God and relationship with his people, then the enjoyment now of being a Christian is exactly that. Your relationship with God and your relationship with his people. And it's not one and not the other. I love Rona. She often says, you know, this is a mini taste of heaven. And what she doesn't mean is the food or the music um, <laughs> or the singing. What she means is this relationship we have with one another. It is a picture of heaven. And that's what we're going to be spending eternity doing. So being a Christian is about enjoying what we will enjoy for eternity, which is a relationship with God and relationship with his people. And that's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Being part of a church family is a challenge because there'll be people who we naturally get on well with, people who don't get on well with, and people we need to forgive or who need to forgive us. But being committed to that relationship, to loving one another, growing in that love for one another, is exactly what heaven will be about. So let's get ready. Let's get ready to do that in eternity. Right here, right now. And that will be a picture to the world as well, to the outside world who look in and they think, why do those guys love each other? Well, it's because God has loved them and given his son to die for them. Heaven spurs us on in loving God and loving his people. It might be, actually, that you've dabbled in church meetings down the years, but when you refer to the church, what you you tend to be referring to is an institution. You're sort of saying, oh, the church needs to do this, or the church hasn't done that, or the church, as if it's an institution and not a bride. But the church is God's precious people who will be perfected in eternity and perfectly reflect his glory. And, and, and God won't be doing, the Lord God won't be doing in eternity what you are doing, which is criticising her and pointing out how all her flaws and faults and imperfections 
as if you are the judge. No, he will be saying, my sacrifice is enough. She is beautiful to me. She perfectly reflects my glory. I love her. And perhaps what that means is that you're not ready for that eternity. You haven't had your name put in the Lamb's Book of Life. You haven't trusted in his blood uh, for your salvation. You're trusting in your own good works. And therefore you're harsh when other people don't live up to your standard. But well, you haven't lived up to the standard either. And maybe there's some people here today for whom that's a real challenge. Because the picture of God's people and the closeness of relationship they have with one another is something that you kind of just could do without you'd rather just do your own thing and just I'll turn up when I want to and I don't really care if people know where I am or do what I'm doing that's not what we have the picture here that's not what heaven will be like um, so if that is a challenge to you why don't you just pray and say God I can see that my heart is not for your people I do not have love for them I say I love you but I do not love your people would you change me would you show me why that is And if you're not a Christian here today, you're someone who's looking in and you're thinking, where is my life headed? (laughs) First of all, where, where am I headed? God is gracious and kind to show us what all of his history and all of his creation is heading for. Because he does not want us to face his judgment. He provides a way that we can be saved from his judgment for eternity with him. It would be a wonderful thing if you could be there too. Lord God, we praise you that you love us, that you have given us your son, the lamb who would take on our sin, shed his blood for us. Thank you that we can be safe with him forever. Thank you that you gather us as a people for your glory. For eternity with you. Amen.